Hello fellow adventurers and welcome back to the Nerd Lab where we transform our gaming passion and learn how to learn like a boss. My name is Marvin and I'm an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. In today's episode of the Nerd Lab, I have a very special guest for you. His most successful game comes with 17 impressive characters, almost 100 different missions and many, many different enemies, events, items and other challenges. So it's no wonder that the whole box um, of the game weighs over 20 pounds um, and some people would even say the game has a hidden dexterity game mode um, because it's really, really hard to get all of the components back into the box after unboxing them. Um, just because the box is filled with so much great stuff. Um, personally, I've been playing the base campaign for over a year now with my playgroup um, and we still have a blast whenever we play the game during our game nights. Um, the guest I'm talking about is, of course, Isaac Childress, and we are going to talk about his worldwide hit, Gloomhaven. Welcome to the show, Isaac. I'm glad to have you. Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to be here. So today we want to talk about um, the design process of Gloomhaven, um, which I'm sure is or was a bit different than for some other games, just because it's such a large and comprehensive game. Um, but before we start talking about Gloomhaven, um, we would like to learn a bit more about you, Isaac. Can you please introduce yourself and tell the listeners how you ended up in the industry at all? Sure. Uh, yeah, so I'm Isaac. Uh, <laughs> uh, I own a company called Cephala Fair Games, and we've published uh, three titles so far. Um, you know, most successful being Gloomhaven, but we've also done uh, Forge War and Founders of Gloomhaven. And then we also have the expansion in Gloomhaven Forgotten Circles. Um, but yeah, uh, how I got into the industry, I don't know, you know, I, I assume just like anybody else, you know, it was a hobby. Uh, for a long time, you know, I love playing board games, and then, you know, one day I sort of got it in my head that I wanted to design something, and, you know, Kickstarter was sort of a new thing at that time, so uh, I started designing this sort of heavy economic Euro game called Forge War, and, you know, after, you know, over a year of work, you know, put it up on Kickstarter, and it did really well, and so... Yeah, I've been publishing games ever since. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, so when you started to design Gloomhaven, what kind of games inspired you? Where, where did the idea for Gloomhaven really come from? Uh, sure. I mean, it was you know, obviously inspired by other dungeon crawl games. You know, I love I love playing dungeon crawl type games just because like uh, I really love you know, the theme of that, you know, I've, I grew up on, you know, sort of like typical fantasy RPGs, uh, like video games, you know, like uh, Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy and things like that. And then, you know, played D&D uh, &D in high school and college and, you know, all throughout that period. So, you know, just, you know, the concept of running through dungeons, killing monsters has always, you know, captivated me. Um, and so, you know, I started playing dungeon crawl board games um, you know, like Descent or Mice and Mystics, uh, things like that. And, um, 
you know, I just felt like they were a little too random for my tastes. You know, I'm also like a heavy Euro board game player. You know, I like making plans and, you know, very little randomness sort of succeeding on, you know, my own uh, decision-making ability. Uh, and so, you know, I play these games and just felt like dungeon the dungeon crawl genre could could do more, could, could uh, cater to more my tastes and be more about decision-making and and things like that and so that's when i started designing gloomhaven and in gloomhaven you you have a a lot of cards in the game and so the question would be were there also some tactical card games that inspired you when you when you um, designed gloomhaven um card games i mean yeah so well I mean, a lot of the games I play, you know, even just, uh, you know, Euro games have lots of card elements that I think are important. So, I mean, even like Agricola and sort of having like minor improvements and occupations at the beginning and playing them over the course of the game or like Mage Knights, you know, sort of deck builder type thing um, where, you know, your deck of cards is like abilities that you perform over the course of a round. Um, stuff like that, I would say is like, probably more of an influence uh i don't play like too many like strictly like card games outside of like deck builders and the mechanic that you really have on your cards is um is a very interesting one and and it was for me when i started to play the game at least it was for me a very a very new and novel um, novel idea to um always have to pick two cards um, and choose the bottom and the top ability of each card because you have two abilities on each card, a top and a bottom one. Um, how did you, um, how did the idea for this uh, came to your mind when, when you designed the game? So there was this old uh, television show <laughs> called Tabletop Deathmatch, which was put on by like um, the people who did... Uh, Uh, Cards Against Humanity, they had, like, this kind of, like, a reality show where they brought on these people to, like, pitch these games to them. Uh, it was kind of interesting. But I, uh, one of the games, and I think, I forget if it was the first or second season, but it was this game called Rocket Wreckers, which I, I've referenced when talking about this before. Um, and I don't think the game ever actually uh, was published, but I saw it, like, during the show, and it sort of had this concept... I guess is what you're talking about, like sort of a more like card game, like tactical thing. Uh, it's like a, a two-player game where basically like one person, they, they were like fighting on a rocket and one person was trying, trying to like crash the rocket and one person was like trying to get it to its destination. Um, but it had that the similar mechanic where like each card you had had like an ability on it, but then it also had like a, a distance And so you could either play it for as one or the other. Um, and maybe you played two cards at a time. I, I can't really remember. I think you did. So you're pushing the, the rocket some distance, but then you're also performing an action. And I just, I sort of latched onto that. You know, it was like, you know, you could have multi, multi-use cards where, you know, you're, you're playing two at once, like one for one use and one for the other. Uh, and that, that was sort of the origin of the idea. And then once I sort of applied that to, sort of more traditional um, dungeon crawl mechanics of, like, you have a, a move and an attack. Um, that's sort of where it all came together. And it just kind of flowed from there. <laughs> 
Yeah, I really like the mechanic, and um, I'm curious um, on how the design approach really was. So, was there in the beginning always a move ability and an attack ability? Um, because in the in the end, there can sometimes be also an attack ability on the um, on the move part of the card. So, um, was it strictly separated in the beginning, or in any phase during your design, or um, was it a bit more open from the beginning? Uh, I mean, you know, that's the the general idea, right? Is you have a move and an attack. Um, but yeah, like very early on, like I think, like the brute was probably the first character I designed. Uh, and may, like in his level one cards, I don't think he has any attacks on the bottom. But eventually, he he starts, or no, he does. He has um, spare dagger, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess even from the beginning, I was sort of playing with that, you know. So it wasn't strictly moves on the bottom, attack on the top. It was. Um, You know, just more move type stuff on the bottom and more attack type stuff on the top. But you know, just making all the cards unique and having all these different abilities, then yeah, some some characters might be better at like performing an attack on the bottom and the top. Um, so yeah, it all just sort of feeds into the flavor of each character how how it actually plays out. Though this is actually not your um, not your first appearance on this podcast. So. Um... In episode 22 of this podcast, I asked 14 of the best game designers, um, what is the one thing you wish you had known before you started your journey as a game designer? And um, the answer that you gave really impressed me. You said um, the most important thing you learned is to ask for help. Um, and because uh, doing everything on your own was very brutal for you. Um, and I would like uh, now to know how the design process of the game for you was really um did you did you start off alone and at what point in time did you really um ask for help and whom did you ask uh sure so i don't know it was it's more like um you know i'm i'm good at doing certain things and not good at doing other things right so uh like for so game design is is sort of I guess, like, what I excel at and, like, content creation. So, so I mean, the process of, of you know, just creating Gloomhaven, I mean, it was it was a long process, uh, and it was, you know, very tiring. <laughs> um, and, I mean, I did ask, you know, there was some help, you know, obviously, like, with playtesting and stuff like that um, that is needed, because I think e even within, like, game design, you know, there's might be people who focus more like on concepts or like I said, like content creation or, or development. Like there's a lot of different things that even go into to game design. Um, and so I, I did have some help um, with uh, development and, and playtesting and things like that as well. Um, but I would say like the, the main idea behind, behind that was just like, You know, I'm also putting this up on Kickstarter and sort of trying to run a business uh, and trying to do like marketing and and all you know all that other stuff that comes along with running a business. And then also, you know, um, doing uh, graphic design and all the artwork and you know, like you know, making a board game is not just about the design. And so, sort of recognizing that I needed to reach out um, to sort of get help with all those other things. Um, so, for instance, like when I was creating Forge War, you know, initially I thought like, oh, I could just do all the graphic design myself. 
like you know i i can i can make a card i know what that looks like uh and, you know that just ended up a disaster <laughs> and so you know just uh reaching out to a graphic designer and starting getting help with that like you know it, it can just speed up the process a lot like if you just early on can recognize you know like what you're good at what you're not good at and try and find people who will help you do the things that you're not good with so you said it was a very long process so how long was it exactly how long did it take for um, for you to design gloomhaven from maybe the very first initial idea to um let's say the delivery of uh, the first product yeah i i started working on the game in earnest i think like the beginning of 2015 uh is when i sort of graduated uh from from grad school and decided to just start doing board game design full-time so that was the project I started with, and I just sat down and started making it. And, um, you know, within that first, um, you know, probably like five or six months, I'd sort of had the the core the core gameplay down like pretty well, and you know, had started, you know, creating, you know, the characters. You know, obviously, like the first four characters were sort of created at the same time as the. As the game mechanics, because you needed characters to play through the through the game with. Uh, but then, you know, I started after the five those five or six months, started creating more content and sort of coming up with a lot more like the campaign elements and trying to you know figure out what all I wanted to include in this game to sort of make it like this big epic experience. Um, and then that content creation ended up lasting probably like I don't know a year or more. Um, you know, so where, where there wasn't much game design, it was just like, I needed to come up with like 90 more scenarios <laughs> just to fill out this world. And that took the, the vast majority of the time. Uh, and you know, then I ran the Kickstarter, I think in the first Kickstarter, like October of 2015, and then sort of had to, to run that over the course of the next like 18 months, you know, constantly updating people on the progress and, You know, eventually, I think around like June of 2018 is when I finally finished uh, getting all the files together and sending them to the printer. And then um, there was a lot of back and forth with the printer just because it was so big hmm. and so many components. And so then it didn't get delivered to people, I think, until like January 2018. 17 so it was about like two years from when i first started working on it to when it finally arrived and what state did the game have when you started your first kickstarter campaign so so how many how many characters did you have because you said you it was just it was another i don't know remember 18 months um between the yeah. first kickstarter campaign and the delivery so um Was everything already there when you started the Kickstarter campaign or um, yeah. maybe only four or five or six characters of them all or maybe only two or three campaigns? Um, so what was uh, how far were you in doing the design process of the game when you started your first Kickstarter? Yeah, I mean, I will uh, admit that like I probably should have waited until it was uh, closer to being done before I had started that Kickstarter, but I had kind of run out of money. And needed to, <laughs> needed a Kickstarter to, to continue to like pay my artists and stuff, um, but I think it worked out well. So essentially, the I think uh, 15 of the 17 characters 
were more or less done. Uh, I may not have had like some of the higher level abilities for some of them, uh, and they still needed playtesting. Um, but I'd sort of you know created the concept and and most of the cards. Uh, the only two characters that weren't done at that point were the Mind Thief and the Cragheart, uh, which sort of were created during the Kickstarter campaign uh, because people wanted more starting characters, and so. You know, I had all these other characters that I planned and already, you know, figured out how to like introduce, you know, later in the campaign, and I needed more starting characters, so I decided to just create some new characters for that. Um, so I did that actually like during the Kickstarter campaign. Um, and then, um, I I would I think like, well, yeah, and then I'll, there was just a lot of content that wasn't done, so. At that time, I was sort of running through a campaign with my playtest group. And I, I don't remember exactly how far we'd gone with that, but you know, it was probably probably like less than 25% of what was actually in the game at that like in the ends, like in terms of the scenarios that were created. Because uh, I was basically just like creating scenarios as we went through that, and then I ended up having to go back and fill in all the gaps that we didn't explore. Uh, so yeah, there was there was a lot of just scenario content that still needed to be done. I think like all the monsters had been made because we'd sort of run across all the different monsters through what we'd done. Uh, but then there were some new monsters and some new bosses that were created during the campaign as well because um, I had um, backers like contribute scenario ideas as well, uh, and so I decided to include some of those in in the in the scenario book, and those required some new monsters that I, and bosses that I wanted to create. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe let's uh, let's stay with this uh, scenario design for a moment because um, I really like the idea of have user generated content in the game, um, and I also enjoyed most of the um, the user generated scenarios that are in the in the base game. So, how really was the process for you? Um, to let some of the backers design parts of your game? Was it, um, um, how did they deliver their ideas? Were you working closely with them? Um, and would you do it again? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, first of all, like, definitely I'd do it again. Um, I think, yeah, I think the, the more creative minds you have working on a project, you know, the, the better it's going to be. People will cut, you know, approach approach you know your system from a different perspective and you know there's always a chance they could add something uh unique to it um that that's worth exploring uh so like during that kickstarter basically i just kind of opened up a thread on board game geek and was just like you know here are the rules for creating a scenario um you know just like just have at it pretty much and so people would post like pdfs and stuff of of the scenarios they created like in that thread um, and as they were doing that, I would like go through them, uh, and sort of message them, you know, privately and maybe give some suggestions on how they could improve things or, you know, how this thing doesn't really quite work within that system and maybe they could change that. And so some of them, you know, modified their scenarios based on, based on that feedback. And then eventually I just sort of picked the best ones. Um, but also because of like, how modular Gloomhaven is. I mean, there's sort of like a, you know, like a 51 scenario campaign that's sort of very closely tied together, but then 
you know, the other 40 plus scenarios are just side side content. Um, and so it's very easy to just like take the scenario that someone had made just kind of based on whatever lore that they latched onto in the game that didn't really have anything to do with the story I was creating over here that no one really uh, had the background for anyway, because like I you know tried to keep things spoiler free. Um, but they could just create this scenario, and then I could sort of take that and just sort of tack it onto the game as a side quest. You know, maybe you maybe you find it based on like a city event or something like that. Um, and so it was kind of nice that way that um, yeah, I could have people creating side content um, without having to know like the whole intricacies of of the story. Um, but yeah, I mean, two people in particular like really helped out and sort of went above and beyond that. Um, you know, Marcel uh, Twetetska, um was a big help uh, in creating a lot of the side scenarios, and he 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 came onto the process like even before the Kickstarter launched. Uh, helped a lot with some of the uh, the personal quests. There were sort of like these two or three scenario arcs, um, and he helped a lot with that. And then Matthew Summers, who I think I met like during the Kickstarter, but he got very involved, and so he ended up making. Uh, a, a big group of, of side scenarios as well, more than just one. So both of them were a big help. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, and when you design one of uh, the scenarios on your own, what is your does your process really look like? How do you start to design um, a scenario? When um, and for example, what is uh, what is the difference between a very good scenario um, and a bad scenario for you? I mean, I think. Uh, if, if a scenario can provide players with interesting choices, like within you know the system that's built, um, you know, so basically like interesting choices on what to do with their cards, and it's not unbalanced, right? So it's not too easy or too difficult. Then I, you know, I think that's what makes a good scenario. Um, sort of where I start when creating scenarios is is really with just the story, I guess, you know, so it just depends on what I'm trying to do. Um, you know, so if I'm designing a scenario for, um, you know, this specific step in, in, you know, the overall campaign, um, then I'd sort of start there to sort of concepts, you know, like what, you know, where, where the characters are fighting and, and what they're fighting and whether it's, You know, they just need to kill all these enemies, or they need to perform some specific goal. Um, so, so, you know, it's just to so use use the the theme and the story to come up with like you know the the broader elements of of map layout and and goals and and monsters, and then sort of work from there. If there's any other like interesting things I can add to the scenario to make it, you know, just different or more interesting. Um, And then, yeah, just sort of concept out, like, specifically, like, where monsters should be placed to, like, make, you know, interesting spatial situations and how many monsters there should be, which, you know, just kind of based on numbers. Um, you know, each monster sort of has a value and, you know, a scenario, depending on how big it is, should have, like, this, this amount of value of monsters. Uh, and then once that sort of all generated that I would, you know, usually play tested a couple times, make, you know, tweak numbers here and there based on whether it's too difficult or too hard. And, 
uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. I guess playtesting and balancing must be must be really a challenge for for a complex game like this with a, with a varying player counts, of course. So, um, did you have some kind of um, measuring stick or measuring mechanic that you used uh, to balance items or monsters or also so something like um, an Excel spreadsheet, for example, where um, uh, each item has some kind of power level indicator, so some kind of key performance uh, number for, for, for each item or so for each monster that you and that you know that you um, and that you can either place three uh, three of those monsters um, or five of the others to, to, to get the same the same kind of uh, challenge for the players. So do you have some kind of key performance in um, identifiers in your game? Uh, yeah, uh, not so much for items, though I probably should. I, the, like, the power of items is generally just kind of, like, eyeball how powerful it is and then, like, assign, like, a, a money value based on that. But, um, but yeah, in, in terms of monsters, yeah, there's definitely, uh, sort of a, n a number metric I use. So, so mo most monsters are on a scale of, like, 0.5 difficulty to 2 difficulty, so like a 0.5 monster is like an imp or, or a snake, whereas like a 2 difficulty is like a, a stone golem or, or a cave bear. Um, and so yeah, I just kind of... And then, you know, there's an elite value that's basically just double the, the normal value. Um, so yeah, as I'm creating the stats for monsters and... In some cases, like the ability deck will uh, factor into that as well. So you know, for like cultists, they're they're kind of weak. They don't really do much. They don't have a lot of attack. But the fact that they can like summon a skeleton, which is like another like so so cultists are like a value one monster. But the fact that like they can also summon a, a living bones, which is also a value one monster. Um you know it within their ability deck means that like they don't have to be strong they just you know are basically like hit point sponges that you're trying to kill before they you know create more annoying monsters um so factor in things like that uh it just you know so i try to like look at each monster and compare them to all other monsters of that same value and then also of different values right so like a a 0.5 value monster should be half as powerful as, as a, a one value monster. Like the elite version of a 0.5 should be about the same as a, as a normal level one monster or value one monster. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just sort of, you know, initially I, I balanced everything off of like the four starting characters and like the, you know, the, the bandit guards, bandit archers and the living bones, which are sort of, the three monsters in that first scenario. Like I played through that scenario a lot and sort of like made a lot of balancing decisions based on that. And so then everything that was created after that was just kind of like compared to the, those values and tried to just like keep within that same balancing space. I think that's a very good advice to start with uh, maybe a handful or even less, um, things that you would like to balance, um, for example, monsters here in your case, and then use them as a kind of, as a kind of base, 
a basement or base point that you can um, then measure all the other uh, monsters again. So that is that is really really helpful for some um, designers out there, I think. Yeah. So um, I also like the the cultists um, and how they are designed because they are they add a little bit of a push your luck mechanic to the game because. Um, When you fight them, you always uh, think, ah, if they don't draw a summon card, I can, uh, I can afford to um, to ignore them for one more round, just one more round. They will not draw this card. But <laughs> if if they summon, you pushed your luck too far. Yeah. And um, uh, what I also really really like with the with the monsters um, are how the um, the living corpses feel, because um, I mentioned this several times on this podcast already, um, because it. They really feel like zombies, like in a like in a in a zombie movie or so, um, because they are not very fast um, and um, they they are strong. But typically, you can you can handle them if you keep them away from you. And um, but sometimes uh, I don't know how many cards in their deck um, do this effect, but sometimes they are um, um, have a better initiative and um, they surprise you, and it feels really like. Um, And then they even they typically um, stun you or disarm you or something like that, and you feel like you you have pushed your luck too far, and you you are in a situation in which you are surrounded by them, um, and you cannot go away, and you have only because you are stunned for the next one, you have one round of time to um, um, to find a way out of this um, this misery, um, and this really feels for me like a like a typical situation in a zombie movie. So we had a great time with them. Oh yeah, I mean I think. Yeah, obviously, an important part of the monster design is is sort of thematically, uh, you know, trying to figure out like what, yeah, what what they would do, like what, um, and a lot of that is the the in the character design as well, right? Like creating these ability cards that um, really feel, you know, feel like that character, like how that character would play. And and yeah, the, so the same thing applies to the monsters. So yeah, just trying to create that that deck of ability cards that yeah gives gives the proper theme to the monster or the character. I think is very important. Um, and when we talk about the the characters and the balancing balancing there, so was your intention to to balance all of the characters that can be played or was it more like um your your core idea to to make them feel different and, and do their own thing so because it's a co-op game they maybe do not even need to be completely balanced so how was your what was your approach of balancing the the, the characters uh yeah i mean again uh yeah i was just trying to keep things similar to the baseline and i think For me, like the baseline was like the brutes. You know, he has very basic abilities. You know, just attacking, moving, and um, just trying to compare all the other characters I created to him. Um, but at the same time, yeah, everything is every character is is doing such wildly different things. You know, um, that at the end of the day, there's really no easy way to compare. Um, and then. You know, it kind of just comes down to, to playtesting, you know, taking these characters and putting up against these monsters that you kind of, you know, like how the brute and the other characters did against those specific monsters. And so, like, you want to see how these new characters do against them, trying to, 
you know, adjust them to where, you know, the difficulty feels the same. Um, but yeah, there's so many items, there's so many different card combinations, there's so many different character combinations. Um, you know, and then especially when you talk about like enhancements, uh, and stuff like that, like, yeah, eventually it just becomes kind of gets away from you a little bit and you just kind of do the best you can. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, like at the end of the day, like not everything is perfectly balanced and, and I think that is okay because it's a co-op game. Um, and it's, it's, it's close enough outside of like a a few edge cases that should probably be fixed at some point, uh, that, uh, that yeah, things, things feel balanced well. There are a lot of guides for the characters in the internet, um, created by the players and most of them, most of the characters have some kind of, um, dominant strategy that is at least advised in these guides. Um, how do you really feel about about that? Is this something that you, that you, I don't know, are okay with or is this something that you want to work on in the expansions maybe by um, making sure that there's maybe not a dominant strategy for, for each character or so or is, would you advise people to to play these dominant strategies or experiment more around with the characters? So how do you really feel about this um, this sometimes dominant strategies? Yeah, I mean dominant strategies, especially when you talk about like specific card loadouts. You know, you get you get this card level two and then this card level three. Um, I yeah, they're not great, just in the sense that like they. They're, it's like removing choice from the player, right? You want to give the player as much choice as possible. So, yeah, if you have a, a level where, like, one card is just, like, strictly better than the other card, then, then right, that shouldn't be the case, right? And if that is the case, like, that's on me as a designer. Like, I should present players with, like, two equally viable choices that they can, that they can you know, so they can make an actual choice on when they level up. Um, so, so yeah, and I think that especially moving forward with like designing expansions and stuff like that, that has been a bigger focus to, yeah, make sure that, that there are more choices. Like there are, there are less instances where one card is clearly better than the other when, when you level up. Um, so, cause I think that is really interesting. And I, I mean, I think that is definitely still viable for a lot of classes and maybe maybe one strategy or one like card loadout is is better than the than another overall but like there are still lots of options that you can have for the characters uh even in the base game um so yeah i mean so some people some person might like write a strategy guide that says oh well you should definitely do this because this is going to create a more powerful character but um, but, you know, if your interest is just in, like, exploring the game and having fun with it and not necessarily, you know, just, like, playing on plus three, plus five difficulty just because you have, like, the most powerful character, then I think there are a lot of interesting things you can do with the characters in the game and different ways to sort of build them out. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yes, but... of course it makes sense. <laughs> um so maybe just one one note because you just mentioned it the um the difficulty level that you can um choose is also um a method to 
to fight the um, differences in power level of characters. Because if you have a, a very strong combination of characters that work well together and that that may that are maybe very strong, you just have the the ability as a group to increase the um, um, the level, the difficulty level. And um, so I think the game is really in a spot in which it does not need to be completely balanced. Um, but that's just as a hint. Um, for the other, for the other um, um, aspect we talked about, one thing that was often mentioned in these guides as a dominant strategy is um, healing versus damage. And many, many people uh, write that um, you should always prefer some kind of um, damage or disable abilities over healing, for example. Um, but when we played, um, we had one character. I don't want to spoil him uh, now, but um, he really focused on on the healing aspect of the character, and we had a great time playing with it. Um, and we also, um, the player of the character was aware that it is not the dominant strategy, but um, it was really what added a lot to our to our group and our situation. And um, we had a lot of fun with it. So I can advise um, my advice for for the players would be play around with the characters and um, don't. Don't always follow the the guides and the dominant strategy here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I what I um, what I have done before before the interview is um, I asked um, the community for some community questions and actually some of the questions that I asked already um, are from the community um, and I received um, a, a huge amount of questions so I already have to apologize for the people that um, uh, sent questions and. Um, I probably not um, will not be able to ask um, all of them, but um, one was regarding the initiative on on the characters, on the character cards, the action cards. So um, the question really is, what um, was your design principle for deciding what initiatives to put on on each action cards? So um, for example, uh, summons are always late. There is usually um, this is what you want to do with them. You want to have them late, though that they stay alive for the next round. Um, and the the buffs that uh, yeah only last for one round one round are typically very have a very good initiative, so are very early um, in a round. Um, but most of the cards, um, it is not. Um, there is no real well strategy identifiable by me or by others. Um, where the initiative value comes from. So is it, was this just um, a measurement for you to balance the cards or how did you um, decide what kind of initiative is on each card? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So I think sort of baseline, if you look at any character, um, like part of creating that character is sort of coming up with kind of like an average initiative value right are they like a really fast character you know like the scoundrel um and the, it, it kind of just comes down to theme but i mean also it's, it's a little bit in like how how powerful their abilities are as well because generally like being faster is better um though not always um or something like um you know the Cragheart, who's probably like one of the slower characters um that's not just strictly focused on summoning um you know, so the Kragheart, like a level one has like one 19 initiative card, but then pretty much all its other cards are like above 30, I think. Um, and some of them go up much higher than that. But so, I mean, it's coming up with like a sort of a how how fast is this character in general? 
Um, and then from there, uh, yeah, like, like you said, like there are certain abilities that will generally go with, at the start of the round if they're like a round effect or at the end of the round if they're summon or things like that. Um, like, like healing generally comes like later in the rounds, but not always. Um, and like higher movement abilities are usually like faster or like lower attacking abilities. There, there's some like general r- rules, but they're not always followed. <laughs> and, but it's basically just like about giving that character sort of a spread of initiatives around like whatever their average is. Um, and you just sort of eyeball it uh, on occasion or most of the time, you know, so it's like, oh yeah, this card. I feel should be like somewhere within this range of initiatives. And then you just kind of like pick a random number within that range, more or less. Um, and, and yeah, like if two abilities, you know, feel s- similar, especially like when you're designing like higher level cards, you know, if this card is sort of a replacement for like this level one card, uh, then they'll probably have similar initiatives. Maybe the replacement will be, will be like a little bit faster. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of coming up with an average, sort of eyeballing where things should be, and then deciding on specific numbers from there. I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure. I have much more of a method than that. <laughs> okay. So um, when it comes to the to the classes um, and maybe also the items, do you have any plans on um, rebalancing them or changing them um, for future print runs, for example? Or do you think of the of the game more of a finished product that you do not really want to touch in the future? I mean, yeah, that's a difficult question because, um, yeah, like especially after like the first printing came out, and then we did another Kickstarter, and then I did a second printing, and I I did try and rebalance some things, uh, and there are was a lot of like mixed feedback <laughs> from that, you know, people mm-hmm. from the first printing who didn't like the fact that now all their cards were not quote unquote official. Um, and so after that, I've kind of like shied away from tinkering with the game in between print runs. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, there are definitely things that I would like to change, but it's just a matter of like being able to change them in, a, in the right way that makes everyone happy. Uh, and I think there are ways to do that, and we're kind of like exploring that at the moment. Um, so, and you know, obviously, you know, there's uh, the possibility of like an like an actual like second edition or something like that. Um, so, I mean, there are lots of ways to to go about it uh, and do it correctly. And I think like if if there were to be more tweaking. Um, there, there would have to be like better support for, you know, people with the earlier edition or the earlier printings, uh, which as I, I think kind of like where my failing was between the first and second printing was that I didn't offer, you know, like a deck of like replacement cards for all those people with the first printing. So, you know, there, there's a lot of like things to weigh. Uh, and, you know, so it, it may happen at some point in the future. Um, but if it does, I'll make sure that, you know, it's uh Everyone is treated correctly. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I mean, there are some things that I would definitely like to change that are still, you know, like I said, like these edge cases that are that are uh, overpowered. 
and should probably be, you know, nerfed a bit, uh, things like that. But, you know, it's, it's hard to change them at this point. Yeah, but you could, uh, you could at least, um, I mean, do not use them in expansions, for example, these kind of uh, mechanics or abilities that you do not like if this is possible and does not really mess around with the, with the entire game. Sure. Like a good example of that, uh, right, is like instant kill abilities. Like a lot of people have problems with instant kill abilities. And I think I've said like, you know, in a Reddit AMA that like, I'm not too happy with them either. Uh, and, and yeah, we're planning on like moving away from that uh, in expansions. Um, and there will be similar things, but they will be better balanced, especially like at higher levels, right? This was actually a question from the from the community. So, uh, do you have any plans to um, with the, which mechanic you want to replace them? And are you willing to share it? <laughs> That's the question. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yes. There, I have I have uh, things in mind that I've I've been playtesting with, um, but yeah, I'm not ready to share it at this point. <laughs> Unfortunately not. Um, so, talking about um, expansion, so the game has developed quite a bit after um, the first the first printing. Um, there was not only an expansion; there was also a digital version of the game. So, how much have you been involved in the digital game? Uh, the digital game, um, yeah, is sort of being developed by you know a, a video game studio. Uh, Flaming Fowl, and uh, I, I, we had a lot of sort of meetings. I don't know. It was probably like a year ago when they were sort of planning out what they wanted to do with it. Uh, I would, like I would say, like I was generally just kind of like a consultant on the project, you know. So like any changes to the game, like they've always gone through me. I mean, so for instance, like uh, enemy AI. Right, where in, in a board game, like you have to make all the decisions, but when you're playing a video game, obviously that video game can make some decisions uh, for you, like some of the more mundane uh, decisions. And so, you know, the, the video game can fully control the monsters and how they act, and you don't have to worry about any of that when you're when you're playing the video game. Um, so stuff like that, like how to implement monster AI and things like that, like all that was sort of discussed. Uh, and then, obviously, like this adventure mode that they're sort of working with uh, for the early access, you know, where it's not the campaign, but it's just sort of like these randomized dungeons. We sort of talked about how that would uh, how that would go, and they ran everything by me with that. Um, but it has been more of like a consulting thing where they say, oh, these are our ideas, these are what we want to do, and I sort of say yay or nay, um, you know, and that's pretty much how it goes. Uh, you know, running by all the artwork by me to make sure like that it's you know fits within the theme of the world and and I'm happy with it and everything. So, uh, so yeah, basically just like consulting on it. Do you plan on using any of the data that they acquire from from the game um, for your future game designs for or changes or expansions uh, for the for the physical version of Gloomhaven because um, for them it's way easier to um, to to play test the game. Um, I mean they have a the number of players and they just have uh, to acquire the data. Um, so it could uh, be a good idea. Yes, I'm not sure 
they will be in the position to do that for a while. Or you just mean like playtesting existing characters, you know, for like future, you know, if we do do a second edition or whatever. Yeah, uh, for example, yeah. I mean, you could uh, you could see that maybe you could use them use it to identify dominant strategies to if because you could uh, could get a very easy statistic to see that um, maybe this level three card is picked uh, 85 or 90 percent of the time, um, sure. so you would know which card you have probably to to nerf or to buff a little bit. Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, yeah, their data could be. Could be helpful, um, but yeah, I think I think it'll still like be a while, you know, because we still need to get like the full campaign implemented and all the different characters. Uh, so yeah, at some point in the future, once once they're like out of early access, um, then I think it definitely will be a good good tool for for like getting data on the base game. And there's also another digital component to the game or maybe component is not the um the correct word here it's uh, the Gloomhaven helper app so sure. i would like to to know what you think about it is this something that you um, if you come up out with a with a new version of the game or a new expansion um would you maybe include it to your package already Um, so the Gloomhaven helper app is, I think it's a great tool and a lot of people, uh, find it very useful, you know, so just in, you know, in reducing setup time because it handles all the monsters and everything. So you don't need to pull them all out. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great tool and yeah, recently we've sort of, licensed uh or come up with a licensing agreement with them because they sort of wanted to uh to, to monetize it at least like a little bit to sort of help with their costs and whatnot and so we sort of came up with an agreement with them uh and you know yeah we're happy for them to to sort of yeah move forward with any expansion content as well and, and include that in the app which i I'm sure they will be they will be doing like as that happens, and we'll sort of provide them with all the files beforehand, um, you know, to make sure that it comes out, uh, you know, as quickly as it can, like ideally coinciding with the actual release of the product. Um, but I think that was sort of all happening like we were talking to them around the time that Forgotten Circles came out, so like we weren't able to provide them with the files for Forgotten Circles ahead of time. But I think. They have they implemented Forgotten Circles yet, or are they still working on it? I don't. I, can't I don't remember. know because I'm still playing the base campaign. I have not. We have not been able to finish it yet. Um, ah. Unfortunately, we cannot play too often in our gaming group. But um, I think we are, <laughs> we are we are we are close. We are close. I, I think maybe three or four campaigns are missing. I don't know. So, um, but uh, therefore I don't know if they have um, have implemented it. But um, we are using it for the base campaign, and we really like it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a great app. And I'm happy, happy that they, yeah, are able to sort of keep up with it. Yeah, and that sounds like an awesome partnership that you have made there. And um, from the emotional perspective, it must feel really great that you see so many, so many people creating these kind of apps or these uh, 
custom classes and stuff like that or posting their house rules and so it must feel great for you as a designer to to see that people really use the system that you have created to come up with their own ideas uh yeah i mean that's sort of yeah a big part of why i made the game is you know as sort of like a system that people can add on to and you know change like however they want you know like a, any good role-playing game uh i was kind of surprised at like the the number of of apps that s sort of popped up you know because like i uh when i first released the game like i i then uh released all of, like these um contents uh all these content files so that people could sort of make their own stuff and i didn't realize like how many apps would be developed from that because I, i was thinking more of just you know like custom scenarios custom classes but then all these people sort of took all those uh, assets and, and made these apps with them too which i think was was great and i think it really helps sort of yeah build the community up that sounds awesome yes and um you recently um announced uh jaws of the lion so do you want to tell the community a bit about about it and what were your intentions of uh, designing this new game uh yeah yeah so jaws of the lion uh, is a really exciting project for me um we kind of came up with the idea like earlier this year um i mean i've, I've been sort of playing around with the idea of like a more you know uh, mass market friendly version of the game um, but I never really, never really kind of clicked like how it would actually work out uh, until like earlier this year when I started thinking about it some more. And because like previously I'd kind of like approached it from from actually like changing the mechanics, like dumbing it down into like a card game or something like that. But it just never felt right. Um, but then I just sort of like started thinking about it, you know, just. Um, Yeah, you know, the the main, because because like, sorry, <laughs> uh, I I can sit down and play Gloomhaven with with pretty much anybody. Like even if you don't, even if you're not a gamer, like I can teach you Gloomhaven and get you playing it, uh, like relatively simply. Like you may not be able to understand like how the monsters move, but like if I just give you a hand of cards and tell you, you know, just play two cards each round, one for the top, one. For or you know one action one top action one bottom action like people can get into that and they can sort of you know relate to this you know this board where they've got this character and they're fighting these monsters and it's all like pretty simple i mean um and so when i started thinking about that and just like the main the main barrier of entry to the game like isn't necessarily the gameplay it's just like all this other stuff around it and if we can figure out a way to 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 lower all of that, um, then it would be possible to to give people the same game experience, but just in a more approachable format. So, um, so you know, the first thing is is just like reducing the size of the box and reducing reducing the price uh, into something that you know looks like a normal game that you would pick up and not this giant behemoth that just you know it scares you. Uh, so, you know, looking at like a $40, $50 price point, uh, and, and, you know, in order to do that, like we'd have to reduce all, a, a lot of the components, 
Uh, and I think like a big breakthrough there was like deciding dude, we can just like play the game like in in the scenario book itself. Like we'll just print out maps instead of having these map tiles, and then we don't need all this extra cardboard for all these map tiles. Uh, and that also reduces a lot of the setup time, which is like another thing that people are always complaining about, you know, how long it takes to set up the game. Um, and so we can reduce that by getting rid of all this cardboard and then just having like fewer monsters and fewer scenarios that people will need to be able to set up. So, uh, and then it's really just how do we teach this game to people, right? Cause I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's still the same mechanics. Like somebody at the table will still have to know how to run these monsters which is kind of like, I feel like, the most complicated part of the game. Um, so that's sort of what I've been focusing on these last few months is is creating, like, a tutorial for the game. So you, you sit down and you open the book, or you open the box, and, like, the first five scenarios in the box uh, sort of walk you through, like, very slowly, like, how to play the game and get up to a point where you're, like, actually playing just, like, a normal game of Gloomhaven. So... Like, the first scenario, you start out, you've just got, like, six cards. They're very basic, uh, just sort of, like, very basic move and attack abilities. And you're fighting monsters who just, like, move one space each round and attack. They don't even have, like, an attack or a an ability deck. They just do the same thing every round. And it's just, like, what is the, what is the minimum amount of information we can give people to, like, play something that at least resembles Gloomhaven, and that's sort of like the first scenario. So they get sort of very, very basic concepts down, and then we move on to the second scenario, and we sort of add a few mechanics and have them play around with those, and then so we go through like five scenarios like this up until the point where we sort of added everything into the game. Um, and I think it's it's been pretty successful so far. We're still like tweaking around with things, but, uh, but yeah, that's sort of the, the concept of the game, is just like how do we reduce all the barriers of entry so that more people can can get into playing Gloomhaven. Yeah, that sounds like a like a smart move for, from a business perspective and um, I also really like the the idea of having a very good tutorial for the game. I think this is something a lot of board games could improve on. Um, I for example, I really liked how Eon's End did it. Um, there were a lot of uh, different uh, card um Deck of decks of cards, and on the top of them there was a stop card that said, "Don't open this card, uh, this pack, um, or don't shuffle this deck because it is um, um, it is pre-ordered to um, to explain you the game in, a, in as a, uh, as a tutorial." Um, and I think they did, they did a really really good job in teaching the game. Um, and it sounds like you are on a, on a very good way there as well. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, when you designed it. For me, it's always, always difficult, and I know it's the same for other designers as well. If they they came up with some kind of idea, some kind of mechanic, a character, um, a scenario, whatsoever, and it becomes their baby, they become really attached to it. Um, and your job in the last months must have really been hard for you because uh, you you had to reduce your core game by so many components and stuff. So uh, was it more like feeling like killing your babies that you really love and were not able to include into the, the new product? Or was it more like um, creating this uh, this really new and exciting product? 
Oh yeah, I think it's it's more like the second one, right? Because we're we're not the because this is it's entirely new content, right? I mean, we've got four new characters and twenty five new scenarios. Like it's it's I don't I don't consider it like you know a chopped up version of Gloomhaven. I consider it you know to be a completely separate thing that I'm able to to build from the ground up just with you know different design constraints. Uh, and so to me, like that's that's interesting. Uh, you know, creating this this new thing um, feels good. Doesn't feel like I'm destroying anything. Great. Um, and yeah, I think we we already talked for almost an hour now, or more than an hour. Um, so we should probably come to an end uh, soon. But I have one more question. Um, With regards to Gloomhaven, is there any specific design space that you would like to explore in the future for the for the core game? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so that will, uh, yeah. So I mean, we're working. I'm working on like you know a proper sequel to the game as well. You know, which isn't. Which isn't Jaws of the Lion. It's it's something else that will just be you know another big campaign uh, with in another big box that is you know geared towards you know people who are fans of Gloomhaven and, and like that experience. Uh, and I'll definitely be exploring new mechanics in that. That sounds awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. <laughs> so, is there anything that you would like to, to to share with us? Maybe an advice that you want to give um, designers that are also approaching a very complex game. Um, anything that you want to 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 give them um, on their way? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've already covered it, right? But I think the most important thing, especially when you know you're sort of thinking about designing some big epic thing, right, is you still have to start small. Right, like I, you know, took that first scenario with the four characters and the three monster types, and you know, I just worked on that for for months, you know, refining the the core, you know, game mechanics, uh, and then, you know, only once you've, you know, done the small thing perfectly, should you like add on to that and and grow it into whatever you're trying to make. Thank you for this great advice, Isaac, um, and thank you for taking the time to to come to the Nerd Lab podcast. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you.